Well, good morning, church. It's so good to be with you. And if you are a first-time guest, I just want to welcome you to Salem Heights Church and say thank you for joining us for church this morning. We'd love to invite you to check us out on our website, salemheightschurch.org, to learn more about who we are and what we have going on in this season. Well, Christmas Eve is just a few weeks away, and like we announced last week, we're going to be having in-person live services. And we continue to make room and open up new times and availabilities for you. So if you haven't signed up, I'd love to invite you to go to the church website, and you can find the link where you can register your family to join us here in person uh, during Christmas. We're also inviting people to continue to think about opportunities to give. We have a list of those on our website, uh, ways that you can serve different people within our community with the love of Jesus during this season. Well, now let's turn our attention to worship as we sing together to our great God. Welcome, Sam Heights. We wish you a Merry Christmas, and we invite you to join us now as we sing to our great God.
God is good. He's great. And even in times of confusion and chaos, his word promises that he's with us and that he will be faithful to provide a way. Provide a way to make a way to be with him and to grow in our relationship with him. Each day we can find that in his word. So sing to him and praise him for what he will do. I've seen you move, you move the mountain. 
God, time after time, you have provided for us. We trust you in this season, God, that you will do again. Those things that you've done for thousands of years through your word, taking care of your people. God, we thank you so much for being with us. We praise you for coming here 2,000 years ago and being with us. And we look forward to your return, God when we'll see you face to face. Until then, God, help us to listen to your word intently and to be with you. God, we thank you. We listen to you, uh, what you're going to have to say to us today. We pray all these things in Christ's name. Amen. Well, good morning, Salem Heights. I pray that you were blessed by that time in worship that we just had. Before we get started this morning, I would love to give you a little glimpse behind the scenes of how worship was pulled off this morning. This last week, we had uh, some new expectations that came down from the governor's office, and our men were trying very hard. Our whole team was trying to pivot with those. And so I wanted you to see a few things that were going on. I wanted you to see where the team was actually set up here on stage. You saw the guys with their masks on. Uh, that was in our main auditorium. But then, uh, in addition to that, we had a separate location because we can't sing or teach with masks off and people in the room. Michaela was actually in a separate location out in the hallway, connected to some monitors so she could be able to see what was happening in here. And Tim was in an, another room altogether as well. And yet, they were able to pull off worship and bring glory to God and encourage us in this season. I'm so thankful for this team. I'm thankful for the fact that in the midst of all of that, instead of grumbling and complaining, they found a way 
to make things happen. Their desire was to give God glory and to give you encouragement. If you think of him during this season, I pray that uh, you would write him an encouraging note, send him an email, uh, let him know that you appreciate that effort. This morning, we're returning to the series, three words for this season. And the second word we're going to look at is found in Romans 15, 13. The second word is joy. Time Magazine, just a little while ago, actually had an article that was entitled 14 Ways to Squeeze More Joy Out of Every Day. This is once again coming from the world's perspective, knowing that we need joy. And this season, more than ever, we need joy uh, to be a part of our life. So it gave some suggestions on how you can gain joy. And one of the suggestions was you just need to prioritize it. Start thinking about joy and then find a way to make it so. It said, in fact, not just prioritizing it, but think happy thoughts or make Sunday a future fun day. If you're on a Monday and you're already hating the week, look forward to Sunday and do something fun there. That'll fill you up with joy. But one of their suggestions really stuck out to me. Uh, it said, buy some happy. The article states, as anyone who has ever bought a trendy, overpriced piece of clothing knows, the kick that we get out of purchases wears off fast. Spending on experiences, however, such as tickets to a play or to Rome rather than things, creates lasting contentment. I want to ask you whether or not you believe that is true. Do you get lasting contentment from the stuff that you provide? Or is joy sourced in another place? That's really the point in Romans 15 is that the hope and joy and peace that is described there cannot be manufactured by humans. We are not the source of those things. And in fact, because we are not the source of those things, that hope and joy and peace are far more secure, far more significant, far more lasting and far deeper in their ability to bring contentment than anything that you could purchase. Romans 15 is where we find ourselves. Verse 13 says this. Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you believe, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Last week, we focused on that word hope, and we used this definition as a definition of what hope is in Scripture and in this place in particular. Hope is the strong desire, eager anticipation, and constant expectation of a future guaranteed by God. Now, we don't want to reteach that entire lesson, but a couple of things that have come up throughout the week as people were reflecting on it that, ma that meant something to them. Some observations were these. Um, sometimes uh, hope is described as waiting under tension. Um, when tension comes into the world and you don't have something significant uh, that is God-driven in your life, um, tension comes into the life of the average person that's dwelling in the world and they collapse. But in the life of the believer, when tension comes, you feel that pull that is pulling you towards something uh, superior, something more concrete, something driven by God, a hope and a future that he has described, as well as an experience right now 
all are tied into that word. When tensions rise, that hope begins to rise, and instead of falling apart, just like the water ski rope that was beginning to get uh, tighter, we, our posture changes in anticipation of where God is taking us. Second thing that really stood out to people was that idea that hope is based on a promise, not on positivity. It's not just up to you to get yourself excited or to manufacture hope, but because of the promises of God, what he's done in the past, how he's followed through with his promises in the past, and the fact that he has still made promises to us today mean that the God who has always been a keeper of promises will keep his promises still. It's based on the character of God, not on positivity. And finally, hope is one of the key marks of a Christian. People in this season, more than any other, in this year, 2020, they should be asking you, what's the reason for your hope? It should be written on your face. And if you don't have hope, you should run back to the author of hope to fill your cup. That was hope last week. Now we're going to focus on that next word, joy. It says, now may the God of... Literally, in the original language, the God of the hope fill you with all joy. What is joy? I want to give you both a simple and a a deeper definition of joy. A simple definition of joy would be that joy is the experience of well-being regardless of circumstances. So no matter what is going on in the world around you, you have an experience of well-being in your soul that is not tied to those circumstances. That's an important definition. But I I believe that if we're going to embrace the biblical definition of joy, I I would like us this morning to focus on some prepositions. Biblical joy embraces some prepositions. What do I mean by that? Here's a definition that has some prepositions in it. Joy is the experience of well-being... Because you are trusting the God who resides in you, embracing the changes being made to you, which causes you to anticipate what is waiting for you and appreciate what is happening around you. That is the type of well-being that is created by God. Uh, I'd like to just pick apart that, uh, that definition Uh, with a couple of observations, and then look at our text once again and see how that settles. Uh, Joy, as it's described in Scripture, has all of those prepositions in it. And if that's the case, then we can make these observations. First of all, joy wells up where hope is planted. Notice it says there, Now may the God of the hope fill you with all joy and peace. As you believe, so that you may overflow with hope. Hope begins and ends this sentence. May the God of the hope fill you with all joy. And there's a picture that's built into this sentence. I want you to uh, imagine for a moment that uh, there's actually a well that has been planted in the life of a believer. When you go to a place where there is not good water, uh, they may be searching for a well. There's, there's projects all around the world today that are trying to give clean water uh, to locations where water is hard to come by. 
And the picture in the scripture is much like what you find in those situations. Somebody comes into that place and digs a well, plants a well, and then what wells up inside of that well is life-giving. So planting the well is not the same as what is inside the well. Here, God has planted a well of hope, and rising up inside that is joy and peace. When you dig a well, it's possible for you to dig down deep enough, and then all of a sudden, you hit a spring. This happens quite often. Uh, as they dig down, they hit a spring, and the water that is in there is called living water. It's actually bubbling to the surface where they've dug all the way down in order to reach it, but once they have touched it, that water wells all the way up to the surface of the well. It may even bubble out uh, and go beyond that well's cap. You dig down, and what comes up out of that is refreshing. It is life-giving. I was uh, reading on the life of a man named Alan Gardner. He was a missionary from some season ago. Uh, he had died on an island, and on the process of his life is... Uh, he was moving towards his final place where he would share the gospel. He spent some time with Zulus down in South Africa. While he was there, he had shared the gospel with them, and because of the government that was in place, they didn't have any standing. Because they were leaving their tribal customs, their tribes were reject rejecting them. There were other tribes around that were also fighting against them, and because they had laid down their arms, they were unprotected. They were a group of people that really looked like, in every way, they were forsaken. But they named not only their church, but the little city where they began to gather in, they named it Habanathi. It actually is a Zulu word for come with us. They base this word out of Numbers, chapter 10, verse 26, where Moses is still in the desert, still with the people, and they look haggard. They look like they don't have anything to recommend them to the people around them. They're in the desert. They don't have a, a lot of food. They don't have a lot of prospects. But Moses actually looks at another individual and says, come with us. For God has given us this promise of a land. We're going to a place flowing with milk and honey, and we want you to join us in the journey. He was looking forward to the fulfillment of the promises that God had made. And he says, come with us. Well, Habanathi was the Zulu word that was used to translate that phrase, come with us. What were they saying? They were saying, yeah. Our political situation isn't good. Everything around us looks like it's a wreck, but God has made promises to us as well. Why don't you come with us? We may look forsaken, but this is not our final state. That joy and hope were mixed together in an invitation. Habanathi, come with us. Joy wells up where hope is planted. But a second thing I want you to see in this passage is that joy can be enhanced or veiled by your circumstances but it cannot be removed by them. Joy can be enhanced or veiled by your circumstances, but it cannot be removed by them. Haven't you found it frustrating at times when you're reading James chapter 1 when he says, consider it pure joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials? Well, how can you consider it joy? And part of the answer comes from what you have been promised, where hope has been placed inside of you, the circumstances may point to hope being fulfilled, even if they're bad circumstances. 
consider for a moment uh, a mom who is pregnant, waiting on the arrival of a child. If they go through the early part of birth pangs or even Braxton Hicks, and they, they have these pains that are in them, uh, it may not be written on their face, joy. Uh, that may not be an exciting look on their face, but there is an anticipation that their arms will be full, that their family will grow, uh, that they will have what, what is inside them tells them of a joy that is awaiting them. That is much different from somebody who has appendicitis. They have a pain inside their stomach, and all that is telling them is something is wrong. There is nothing in them that tells them of a hope that is awaiting them. A much different experience. In one, the pains are telling them that what they are hoping for is about to arrive. In another one, the pain is telling them that something is wrong. And there is nothing you can tell them that will make that pain feel better or go away. Ernest Thayer, in a famous poem, Casey at Bat, talks about what the world tends to experience. Um... Casey is a baseball player that has come into Mudville, and Mudville is wanting to win the championship, but they're down, and their champion has come up to the plate. There's a couple people on base, and it looks like they could potentially snatch victory from the clutches of defeat. Casey is at bat. He's got two strikes, and finally the final pitch is thrown, and you see this mighty swing that has been put on the ball. This is the final phrase of the poem. It says, oh, somewhere in this favored land, the sun is shining bright. The band is playing somewhere, and somewhere hearts are light. Somewhere men are laughing, and somewhere children shout. But there is no joy in Mudville. Mighty Casey has struck out. Their joy in that situation was tied to whether or not their champion had won. In the world, For many people, your circumstances do determine whether or not you are happy, whether or not you have joy. To the believer, when the pressure comes, it's a reminder that your hope is just at the door. Circumstances may veil your situation, but it will not take away your joy. But third, I want you to notice this. Joy is a product of faith and the work of the Holy Spirit. Notice what it says here. It says, now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you believe. It's an intriguing statement there. This uh, believe is, is really a driving verb inside this sentence. It's telling you that there is something that you're participating in, in this joy and peace that you're experiencing. You're not the author of that joy and peace, but as you believe... You're returning to the source of that hope and joy and peace and allowing his joy, his peace to flood you. If I return to the picture of the well, I want you to imagine for a moment, once again, you're back in that place where clean water is necessary. A well has been planted and no longer do you have to go to a seep or to a muddy place where everybody's been washing their clothes and, and, and all the filth of life is flowing into that stream and endangering the population. You go to a well where it is clean water, where you have the ability to have something that is life-sustaining uh, rise up there. You can go to that clean water. But now imagine that people are still getting sick. And the reason is that they're going back to those seeps, back to those places where unclean water is available just because it is easy easier. What do you tell those individuals? Well, if you would trust 
that the well is the place for clean water and where life-sustaining sustenance can be gained, if you trust that, you go back to the source of that clean water and you will have clean water in your life. We have to remember that faith doesn't make the water clean. You go to the source. Faith tells you where the source is. I can't, because I have strong faith, just determine something is going to happen. I, by faith, return to the source of those things that are going to happen. I return back to the Lord. He has planted hope. And so by faith, he says, you go back to the source of the hope. Instead of looking for joy in what I can buy or what I can experience or the happiness that is around me, if my world is content, then I am content. That, that's not the place to find joy. He says, no, the real source is to go back to the Lord. If I go back to him and I look to him as the source, then what it is that wells up inside me is coming from the Lord. I yield to what he has provided. John Newton, famous pastor from a while ago that wrote the hymn Amazing Grace, said this in one of his letters. He says, as he's writing to a friend, he says, My hope is built not upon what I feel in myself, but upon what he has felt for me. Not upon whatever I can do for him, but upon what he has done or what's been done by him on my account. Seek him. And you'll find him. Whatever else you seek, you may be disappointed. But he is never sought in vain. What is he trying to say in a nutshell? If you go and you're searching for the Lord, you'll find him. And that is the place of real victory. Joy is a product of faith and a work of the Holy Spirit. But the final thing I want you to see is this. Joy is unmistakable. It says, now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace. When he says, may he fill you, it's identifiable. You'll know it if it's there. Wanda Joe Pence, a short while ago, uh, wrote a book called Riding the Joy Train. And in there, uh, she, in her studies, had come across this statement. She says, a man living in the third century was dying and he wrote these last words to a friend. It is a bad world, an incredibly bad world. But I have discovered in the midst of it a quiet and holy people who have learned a great secret. They have found a joy which is a thousand times better than any pleasure of our sinful life. They are despised and persecuted, but they care not. They are masters of their souls. They have overcome the world. They are truly a joyful people. These people are Christians, and I am one of them. What an amazing statement. Yes, he may be dying, but that didn't rob him of his joy. He was filled with joy because of what these Christians had shared with him. Faith in Christ had transformed his experience. Can I ask you a question? In this season, has your joy evaporated? Is it possible if you're struggling to find joy, if you haven't been at peace, if you are overwhelmed in this season, that for at least a little while you were substituting the joy of the Lord with a joy that comes from the world? 
In the book of Jeremiah, God actually looks at his people and he says, my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the source of living water, and have instead dug cisterns, broken cisterns that can't hold water. They're drinking water that has been run over all the rocks of life and the filth of the city rather than water that wells up from within. In the same way, it's possible for us to have mistaken a joy of our things, stability, the life that was around us, the fact that there was a sense of stability in our nation, a sense of happiness that almost led us to complacency. Is it possible that your joy has evaporated in this season because you were not leaning on the Lord? Scripture isn't fatalistic about that. It actually says, return. Return to me, God offers over and over again. If you are a believer and your joy has evaporated, what it says here is that your joy and your peace will continue to thrive as you believe. Return to the well of hope that God has already provided. Just look at him and say, Lord God, I have been clinging to things that do not bring me joy. Will you fill me with joy once again? If you're not a believer and you're saying, man, I am desperate for joy, something that cannot be touched by all these circumstances, Christ died for you. Scripture says he was buried and rose again on the third day. He took your place on the cross. But he didn't just do that to get rid of sin. He also gave you life abundantly. It's not a life that's just reserved for the future. He says that abundant life is available today. If you'll just place your faith in Christ, he'll replace that brokenness with a joy that is everlasting. Trust him today. I'm praying that we as a group of believers will be identifiable, not because we're wearing a certain t-shirt, not because we have a certain moniker on our uh, folders, not because we have a backpack that highlights who we are and where we're from, but that we will be identifiable because of the hope and joy that is written on our face and in our speech. May that be the case. Let's pray. Father, we ask you that you would help us today to be those people who, because of the hope that's planted in us, are experiencing joy. We do ask, Father, that you would fill us up with a joy that is not attainable through finances. It's not attainable through creating circumstances. A joy that comes because your spirit has manufactured it in our hearts. Help us to feel that to experience it, a sense of well-being because of what you're doing in us and to us and what you are causing us to hope in. We thank you for the promise of that joy. We rest in it and we ask, Father, that you would help us to spread the news that that joy is available to all those we meet. We pray that you would help us to do this in Jesus' name. Amen.